to the 150th episode of the Not Your Mama's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University in wonderful West Lafayette, Indiana. Okay, not so wonderful, but West Lafayette, Indiana, uh, <laughs> where I talk about, read about, dream about, amongst other things, video games, video games, video games. And I am ex- excited as fuck tonight because we have a special guest. We are joined tonight by Treyandria Russworm, who is an associate professor at University of Massachusetts Amherst, um, where she teaches race and new media studies. Um, and uh, a little bit about Treyandria is she's got three books, so she's like, you know, she's like the shit already. But her latest book um, is Blackness is Burning. Um, and the book that's coming out this July, right? Yes. Okay, that I'm really excited for is the, um, oh shit, it's, uh, the, I just placed oh. the title that fast. Gaming Representation, I'll Ga- throw, I throw it out there. Thank you, Gaming Representation. Man. And she's going to come back again and talk to us, I'm already claiming her now. She's coming back again to talk to us about that book when it comes out because I am sure it's going to be all kinds of shit we need to talk about. She's going to come back with her uh, co-editor, hopefully. Um, and we're going to talk about some shit then. Um, and she's going to come back as many times as she possibly can in the interim. So <laughs> so now that I have claimed you for all of these things, yes. how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. This is the highlight of my year. Um, I'm so happy to be here. It's awesome. Yay. So we are joined tonight by one of our regulars as well. Everybody knows who this one is. Uh, but... Definitely someone that I will always introduce because I love her so, Alicia Garabinis. Aw, thank you. Is that where you make up for all the ways you made fun of me right before we started recording? Yep, that's exactly what I'm doing. Okay, I'll take it. Um, So I'm Alicia Garabinis. I am a graduate student, a PhD student in rhetoric and composition at Purdue Incorporated, a purchaser of other universities, a purveyor of student indentured servitude. Um, I will be fired probably tomorrow now, uh, so please throw me a coffee or a donut or something as a reward. <laughs> as a reward. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, we are all those things. So can't fire you from telling the truth. Uh, I mean, they could. They, 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 they could. But you know what? Let's hope they don't. So let's get started because we got some shit to talk about. We're going to start with our usual what you're playing, what you're reading, what you're drinking. Yeah. And uh, those are all very important questions. Um, and we're going to because we like to pretend we have some manners around here. We're going to start with Trey. Mm, what are you okay. playing lately? What am I playing lately? So uh, I have to preface this by saying that I broke my leg at the end of December, at the end of the semester in December. Mm-hmm. And when you're kind of, when you're over the age of like five and you break a limb, 
it takes a long time to recover. (laughs) So I broke my leg, dislocated my ankle, broke my leg, had surgery. And then fast forward four months later, and here we are in April. And I thought when I was like, when I realized I was going to be recovering and have surgery and all of that, I was already not teaching this semester. So it it wasn't like a relief, like, oh, I'm going to get some time off from work. Like, (laughs) no, it was like, this is stealing my time to myself, um, my enjoyable time to myself. But I thought, okay, at least I'm going to play a lot of video games. What else can you do mm-hmm. with your leg, like, propped up and elevated and just lying around, you know, for days on end? But mm-hmm. I quickly realized that I had no patience for narrative. So I was like, no, you know, most of the games I want to play, like I have Watch Dogs 2 sitting here. I was playing Mafia 3, and Sam, I know you're a fan, and we can talk about Mafia 3, because I've played about... 90% of Mafia 3 story mm-hmm. and and I was like I'm gonna finish it I'm writing this stuff it's gonna fit into that but because I want to be able to think critically about the games that I play I can't help myself you know for doing that I shut down all those facilities I like could not mm-hmm enjoy the games and think about the games at the same time with like a throbbing leg. I was like, no, this uh. doesn't work. And then part of me was also just protesting. It's like, your body is telling you that you need to heal. And why does your mind have to be on this path? You know, this critical path, shut down the critical path. My body was like abort that project of, you know, discourse <laughs> of the, the critical gaming, you know, that is, that is the way I engage games for the most part. So what I played, what I've been playing and, and now I'm just kind of starting to get in a craving for other other games again. Um, was NBA 2K like I, I was just I would pop a Percocet and play a game, <laughs> play a 30 minute like a full length 12 quarters. 12 I've never played 12 quarters in my life. 12 minute quarters, um, full you know length quarters, real time gaming in basketball, so that the game itself was like over an hour with timeouts and everything. And Damn. then by the time one game would be over like that, I'd pass out because you know the Parkinson would kick in so that's kind of how it's been the last couple of months playing NBA 2K um, I'm in my second season but playing like 82 games of it you know I've never also done that either and I was like I'm impressed that this is what I can handle like I like basketball sims I usually forward through games you know it's like let me skip these games but I'm in my second season we're playing LeBron in the championship and uh, he's my favorite player so I'm like I'm gonna take you down LeBron um, so I play that and then lately in the last like couple of weeks here I've gone back to the Sims which is kind of a a oldie but a goodie franchise to me I haven't played the Sims in a really long time and I've boycotted the Sims 4 because they didn't have toddlers they didn't have pools I didn't like the non-open world version of this of the load screens coming back Um, I was disappointed with the microtransactions and everything like the direction Mm -hmm. of the franchise has annoyed me Um, Mm -hmm. and I was boycotting it I was like I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do it and I've held out until this long but just lying around here I was like you know what I'm feeling sorry for myself I'm going to play the Sims I'm going to play the Sims 4 so I got it played it for maybe a day or two and was like this is horrible I hate this experience I can't Mm -hmm. get into the world the characters look goofy to me the teenagers look like adults what has happened to this franchise so i stopped that and went back to the sims 3 which i enjoy i still enjoy 
And then I was like, but I'm bored with this. I mean, I've played The Sims since 2000. I've had this relationship with The you Sims. You and me both. And that's like 17 years with one franchise. It has yep. been my favorite franchise of all time. Um, and I take my breaks, you know, uh, from it. So I went back to The Sims 3, and I was like, but I'm bored. I need a challenge. So, you know, the whole world of, like, Sims challenges is out there. You can find these different challenges, have 100 babies, you know, whatever <laughs> your challenge is. And... Here is the narcissistic part of the story, though. I, 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 look, I can't find the perfect challenge, so I'm Googling around, and then I find a challenge that I created online that I forgot that I created. And, in fact, I have all these videos on, a, on my YouTube channel, which is dormant because I don't really, you know, uh, do this anymore. But at one point, you know, a few years back, I did. I created a rebuild the world sims challenge where i have to say i created it i actually modified uh someone else's existing challenge and adapted it to my own needs and then i created you know this this let's play of that challenge so part of my time has been watching those videos enjoying myself play the sims (laughs) while playing the sims while trying the challenge again and so there was one moment where I was at my computer with my legs still propped up because even though I could walk again, it's still kind of dicey. So my leg is propped up. I'm playing on my PC. And on the other side of me on the big screen is my, my YouTube channel, Playing The Sims. And so my <laughs> wife was like, are you really wa- playing The Sims, watching yourself play The Sims? And I was like, yes, it is magical. This is the best thing I've ever do- I've ever experienced myself narrating this really hard challenge, which is like you, you, you start out in an empty world with no other inhabitants you have your two sims you have to unlock different things by leveling up but you have no comfortable beds you know the seasons are on my sims almost died tragically several times over (laughs) and i remember it was some kind of nostalgic experience of watching myself play through that horribly hard challenge and try to manage a youtube channel and i was like wow you know I i was enjoying watching myself do that and also play playing it again this time a fresh challenge a fresh version of it so that's what i've been playing we have um the walking dead uh the new clementine walking dead kind of on tap here to try out but we haven't played it um i haven't either i i I was so into the first two yeah no and i want to i'm i'm i mean my enthusiasm for that franchise has kind of died down a little bit since i've written about it but I'm still curious. It's still, I have a soft spot for the first season with Lee. And even though there were so mm-hmm. many messed up things about it, I mm-hmm. still have a soft spot. I mean, he's a history professor. He's a black history professor. <laughs> I, when is that ever going to happen in a game? So I have to kind of work with that. Um, and then Virginia is the other thing that I did play also on Percocet. So it's foggy. But I think that game works well on Percocet because it's so um, non-literal. It's so... <laughs> experimental and so open to interpretation and then there's like an acid trip in the middle of it so that worked really well on the cocktail of of drugs um and and i'm gonna write about that game also um so yeah that's that's been the nutshell what i've been playing and it spans the last couple months of of not really wanting to be in narrative games that i guess weren't my own narrative apparently um so now i can sort of re-enter the game the stack of games that i have here that i've been wanting to play and thought i would play you know during winter break Mm -hmm. which is now gone because it's april so it is no longer winter break you got it just in time for summer break there you go there we go yeah so uh that's what i've been playing all right alicia what about you darling what you playing 
well, we picked up Overcooked when it was on sale. I've been thinking about buying it for a while. And, you know, I have some mixed feelings about Overcooked. Everybody I know who's played it really likes it. But I really just want, like, one endless level of Overcooked. I want to zen out and just, like, make dishes for <laughs> a, a, as long as I can until, like, I run out. And you can't do it. it they're all short. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, you do this for a while and you see how many points you get or whatever. Um, so I like it, but I also feel weirdly unsatisfied by it. So okay. I don't know. And then Hearthstone, of course, because I hate myself. Well, <laughs> you should. Yes, you know. You keep saying you're going to stop playing that game. I'm never going to play this again. It's the worst thing ever. And then you play it again for, you know. You know what? What? Shush. <laughs> do what I want. Do what you want. All right. Well, I'm I'm not much better because you know what? Mm-hmm. I'm still playing a whole hell of a lot of Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Well, that's actually like a really good game, though. So it is a really yeah. good game. I can't critique you for that one. It is a really good game, but you know what happens is I start. I'm like, okay, so I'm going in and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going, you know, like clear one shrine and maybe a tower, and then like <laughs> six hours later. I'm still playing that damn game, and I'm like, I should have went to sleep six hours ago. Um, it sucks all my time dry. So I'm going to have to find, I'm going to have to, like, set up the parental locks on the uh, <laughs> on the switch just for myself and, like, have somebody else set a password, but not you, Alicia, um, so that I can uh, keep myself from, from playing too much. Look. I'm a great person to set your password. I know that. Yeah, because you won't give it to me. But that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I want somebody who with enough threatening will give me the password. Um, and that wouldn't be you. So nope. I, I need to find somebody else. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I've been playing a whole lot of Breath of the Wild. Um, I played um, a fair bit of the Sexy Brutale, which is that new indie game on uh, Xbox. Well, so Xbox One, PS4 and Steam. Um, cause we had a, a review copy of that, um, which is pretty cool because it's a, a puzzle game, but it's like part, um, it's like a little bit of Ocarina of Time, a little bit of, uh, Misadventures of PB Winterbottom, a little bit Murder Mystery. So a little bit like Clue <laughs> all together. Cause you can spin back time cause you have to prevent all these murders that are going on. Um, and the thing about it that I liked about it was like, even though we had all this stuff going on is that the game was hard because you had to figure and it's not a game that you could just like say okay I'm just going to run in here and I'm just going to stop this murder no you actually have to like follow people around and figure out what they do um, before they commit the murder and then figure out how you can uh, prevent the murder without getting seen or caught yourself because you can't like jump in front of a bullet or anything like that Uh, but you have to stop the gun from firing for example Spoiler, not that that's what you actually have to do, but maybe that's what you have to do. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you have to figure out how to do all this. So sometimes you like have to rewind the clock like three or four times. At least I did. You know, it probably doesn't help that, you know, you, when you like start drinking when you play in this game. Um, but I had to rewind the clock like three or four times because you only at the beginning of the game, you only have like five hours um, before you have to rewind the before the clock rewinds all on its own. Um, and as you solve more murders or prevent more murders, your your pocket watch uh, starts to be repaired, so you get more time for the for subsequent uh, murders to prevent them. Um, so it was kind of hard, but it was hard in a good way because it made me focus. 
um, it made me focus. And I was, it was that time of the semester where I'm easily scattered. So just being able to focus and kind of just hone in and, and it was a kind of a Zen thing for me for a little bit. So that was fun. Um, I played some Sea of Thieves, the technical alpha, which I can't talk about because of, you know, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I can't talk about it, but I played Sea of Thieves. Um, so wait, is there a gag order? Why can't you talk about it? Yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. No, there's a non-disclosure okay. uh, agreement, so I can't talk about it, but it's fun. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. Um, oh my God. I'm, I'm, huh? I'm telling you said it was fun. I think I can say it's fun. I just can't tell you why it's fun or <laughs> or any of that. I can say it's fun. Um, and then, oh, you know what I played? Because uh, I streamed it last week was um, the first episode of uh, Marvel Guardians of the Galaxies, the Telltale game. Mm. So I'm mad because, okay, so they had a demo and I was like, okay, I'm going to play the demo first to see if it's going to be any good, right? So I played the demo and the demo went smoothly, smooth as hell. So I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to buy the first episode because I'm still a little tentative. I'm like, I'm not going to give him 20 bucks yet. I'll give him $5 and we'll see what happens. So I'm playing through the demo and like five minutes, I mean, the first the first episode and five minutes in, I hit this glitch that like had me die like 10 times in a row. And I'm like, wait a minute, this glitch was not there in the demo, but it's there in the first episode. That's kind of stupid, right? So there was a couple of, there were a couple of places where I hit some glitches that uh, kind of had me stuck for a minute, but they eventually worked themselves out. So they didn't, um, they didn't break the game, but I was not terribly impressed with it. Um, and it's like, after all these years um, and all of these, uh, point-and-click adventure games, Telltale really needs to, like, up their game, fix their engine, get a new one, because it's starting to show its age. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels a little clunky. Mm-hmm. It feels a little clunky. And, yeah, I agree with that. And you know what? So, here's here's what I'm mad about, too. <laughs> so, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm... They didn't... Apparently did not have agreements with the actors to have their likenesses in the Telltale game. Because they, they don't look anything like the... Uh, like the actors in the actual film. But they made, okay, so, so, okay, I'm already, I'm already, I'm always mad at, at Zoe Saldana because, you know, she says some stupid shit. But anyway, but they made Gamora white. What? In the, yeah. So I was looking, I was like, uh, yeah, I know you can't use her likeness, but you could at least still yeah. made her a person of color. Um, so I was kind of mad about that. I was kind of salty. Uh, so between that and the clunkiness and those two big glitches that I ran into, I don't know about the rest of the season pass because, you know, the story wasn't that engaging anyway. So we'll see. If nothing else is going on and I need something to play when the rest of the episodes start coming out, I might buy it. But other than that, I might not. So anyway, that's about all I've been playing. So now we get to do fun thing. Who's reading what and uh what's what's interesting in what you're reading? What about you, Trey? Um, so I just finished uh the first five issues of the comic Black. Um yeah. and uh it's okay. You know, the premise of the comic is that 
Uh, only black people have superpowers. Not all black people have superpowers, but millions of black people do, or they have like dormant powers they don't know about, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and uh, and it follows this one young man who is uh, shot in a you know moment of police violence, and that's how he discovers that he has these you know superhuman powers. Um, the concept has a lot of potential. I think mm-hmm. that what I I found difficult was the dialect, the dialogue and the dialect. Like there are these random moments of like broken forced dialect where I can't, mm. it's not like a Southern regional dialect. Like why are black people talking this way? Like I couldn't, <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. And it was very hard to like understand. I was like, I can't even think of an example of like, but you can barely read it. And you're like, why is the, why are they, talking this way exactly Mm -hmm. um and so but it wasn't it's like believable slang it didn't seem to follow any regional dialect i don't know so the the dialogue and wasn't great either and the dialect wasn't great and the story concept is fine but the actual story isn't necessarily great but what Mm -hmm. is amazing is the are the covers for this um for for this series and Mm -hmm. i think it's supposed to be a limited run series it was a kickstarter campaign last year Mm -hmm. um but the covers are incredible and the covers have this much more meta commentary on the world you know now so the first cover is like young you know black man in a hoodie with his hands up um and it's like a black and white they're all black and white covers with red black white and red um and next cover is like lynching and it does the covers do thematically relate to what's happening in that issue um to some extent and some are more literal than others um there's another one where it's like a lineup of black men and it's like slave negro colored thug and then the video game cover which is really really exciting and well done is issue four and it is um donkey kong with trump as donkey kong at the top (laughs) so like level one of donkey kong and like police shooting at him and then level two is like the kkk like throwing you know burning crosses at him level three is scalia i'm pretty sure that's supposed to be scalia (laughs) and then level four is trump as donkey kong and then it's like the whole cover is in that same you know vibe and aesthetic and the issue, that particular issue doesn't overtly have anything to do with video games necessarily, but mm-hmm. I think you can make some interpretive connections perhaps, but the rest of the covers definitely relate to the plot of that issue, but that co- random like video game cover is really boss and worth like thinking about in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next cover was of like the 13th. It was like, it, it sort of echoes the, uh, the film, the 13th. So, um, so I enjoyed thinking about what this comic could be um, in some yeah. ways, uh, though it's not really great in terms of plot and dialogue and story. Uh, I do love the covers, and I'm looking forward to. I think it's only going to be six issues. I don't know, uh, but I hope it can go somewhere. Be, you know, I hope it can live up to its cover art. Let's let's put it that way in, in the mm-hmm. future, in my mind. Um, and I want to you know keep supporting it. And then the other thing I've been reading is just a dystopian novel, um, a cli-fi novel called The Heat Stroke Line, mm-hmm. um, and it is about a professor. Um, an entomologist who's kidnapped by these like fanatical nationalists. America has broken up into all these little confederacies and he's from 
Mountain America, I think it's called, and they've kidnapped him because they want him to help th- unify some of the um, the other states by defeating these these uh, these violent bugs that attack and the flesh eating bl- bugs. And so they want him to use his research to stop this, but he's like transplanted from his like academic world and i mean it's a cli-fi novel so the world is like it's like 110 degrees 120 degrees in the u.s is normal and so below the heat stroke line it's even hotter so they've like kidnapped him and moved him down there and he's in this household of just complete um national fanatics and nationalist fanatics and so he is kind of caught between all these factions and so I'm still reading that. It's okay. It's not bad. Um, I mean, definitely, I like dystopian novels, and I've been on a sort of dystopian novel kick just reading whatever I could get my hands on. Uh, it makes me feel better. Um, not so much <laughs> about where we are today, but it makes me feel better that our artists have been um, predicting this and continuing to predict this and give us variations mm-hmm. of what we're living through now. Um, it it. I mean, what we've been living through, whatever, for all time, has always just been a dystopia. America's always been a dystopia, damn it. Um, no kidding. And I'm, I'm critically uh, attracted to, to writing and thinking about dystopia. So my next projects are, are on around that area. So, um, so yeah, that's what I've been reading, The Heat Stroke Line in Black. Cool. That sounds good. That, that, the Heat Stroke Line sounds interesting. Yeah, it sounds really good. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing other light reading for work, like, you know, Stuart Hall, like theory, but I kind of feel like I'm on a break. Um, I'm about to start sabbatical, so I'm trying not to. Nice. I want to ramp that research and reading up uh, for that time, and it's kind of new for me now. I mean, I just got tenure, so, like, the pre-tenure grind was a whole different reality, and I think that this moment of my reading life is shifting a little to include things that I'm just reading because. I didn't do very much reading just because before, and now I'm saying, you know what, I'm just reading this because. There's no attachment. There's no reason why except that I want to read it. Um, and then the other research-related work and reading you know, that'll come back to me, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. If I haven't already just dropped the mic on this career and said, it's over. I'm done. No, you need to, to tell Mom, me that. Mamba pre- out. Mamba out. Pre-10 your life is wonderful and magical and full of rainbows and super easy. Woo. That's what have, I need to hear. Let me have another drink first and then I can maybe tell you. I can okay. maybe say that. Please lie to me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that would be. I'm going to try hard. <laughs> uh, what about you, Alicia? What you read? Um, well, it's the end of the semester, so, you know, I'm working on papers and stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, but I did just finish The Uberfication of the University by Gary Hall. It's a little book uh, from this, this series where they do, like, books that are between, like, extensive online work and full books. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. comes out to, like, 80 pages. Um. Oh, it's it's really something. It's not happy. Mm. It's it's not happy about the future. As you're sitting there, you're talking about the heat stroke line. I was like, mm, mm-hmm. I'm gonna have a really joyful follow up to this one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, just about the the changes that are happening in education. And he's a professor in the UK, where they're also, of course, now facing fallout from Brexit. Um, but it's just it's it's dark. And there's not a whole lot of hope for things to not be dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the new world, right? 
Good times. Good times. Yay. Let's see. What am I reading? Uh, I'm re- what did I just finish reading? <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm not reading any fiction right now, which makes me sad. Mm. Um, and I always try to sneak in something because I, I have that rule about not reading anything that's not for pleasure in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I started post tenure, which is a great rule. I'm trying to live <laughs> up to you, Sam. This is where I am. I mean, that is a fantastic idea. That was something I was like, okay, I've been reading, you know, books for work and research in bed until I fall asleep and giving myself nightmares Mm -hmm. (laughs) for years. I'm like, now I'm only going to read stuff for pleasure in bed. Well, I will Um, say, I'm just going to interrupt you because I'm rude. Uh, This semester, (laughs) since I had so many just awful, I have three heavy duty seminars and a bunch of other stuff I was working on. It's like, you know what? I am going to make a deal with myself that I'm going to read a lot more fiction this semester, even if it means I lose sleep. Mm-hmm. And so far, since the year has started, I have read 23 books. Mm-hmm. Some that were rereads. Some I probably didn't absorb enough, but just I'm just keeping myself honest on that mm-hmm. one. That's just, up, and those yeah. are just the fun books. So Wow. None of them are anything that I would brag about. It's like great content. It's, it's like fluff. Yeah. Um, but 23. Nothing so wrong far. with fluff. Well, so, okay, so what I have, what I have been like reading or rereading um, was uh, Michael Smith's Invisible Man Got the Whole World Watching mm-hmm. um, because uh, I was teaching that in my minority rhetorics class. Um, so it was, it's, it was always fun to reread. Um, and then I ended up, <laughs> I ended up rereading in the last day and a half or so, rereading Bad Feminist, uh, Roxanne Gay's book, because... I have I've had some trouble sleeping the last couple of days, so I had gone like forty something hours with no sleep, and uh, I was trying to help a student find a particular section that I had like described in great detail to her, and she was like, "I cannot find this section in the book," and I was like, "Damn, maybe I hallucinated that. I don't know," because I was like, "I had had no sleep," so I was re I reread the entire book looking for the section, and for some reason. I I got to the chapter that the part that was in that I looked and I was like, oh, I remember this chapter. I'm not going to read this chapter. So I skipped it. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that was the chapter it was in. So, um, but I, but I did eventually find it because I like text, I texted Alicia and I was like, okay, so this is in this book. I'm not crazy. Right? <laughs> she was like, I was like, I got you. <laughs> And then she was like, I think it's in this chapter. And I was like, oh, the chapter I skipped because I was like, I don't want to read shit about Lena Dunham. Um, so, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I just like skipped the chapter altogether. Uh, <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so, yeah, the last last week or so, those are the two books that I've reread. But like I said, I haven't I haven't read anything for pleasure. What I did grab was another dystopian novel. Um, yes. Cause I want to read it, and someone had so because I was we were talking about dystopian novels, especially with the Handmaid's Tale coming out um, mm-hmm. on Hulu this week. Um, is mm-hmm. uh, Hillary Which Jordan's... I reread re- recently too. Like I love during... that book. I used yeah. to teach that book all the book. time, so I probably have read that book twenty or thirty times because mm-hmm. I used I've taught it so many times. But uh, Hillary Jordan's book, When She Woke, uh, which is about. Um, women who or people when when people commit crimes instead of getting scarlet letters they get 
chromed, so their bodies get painted Ooh. the color to reflect their crime. Whoa. Um, and uh, she uh, has an abortion. Um, and because she won't tell uh, who impregnated her, what part of the reason is she 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 gets chromed, and it's all about the life that she has to live um, as this chromed person. So, um, and it sounds absolutely fascinating. So I grabbed it because I'm like, I'm going to read this. Um, but of course, I have not had time to read it yet uh, because between not sleeping <laughs> and uh, and rereading other stuff, I haven't had time to read it yet. But that's next on my list. I'll probably start that this weekend. And I'm excited to read that. And I, and I also haven't had time to watch the the Handmaid's Tale, part of the, the first part of Handmaid's Tale yet on Hulu. Anybody else had a chance to watch it yet? I haven't oh, watched I it haven't. yet. I haven't. So I'm going to, I'm, you know what? I'm tentative. I'm still mad. Cause first thing I said, see, and everybody, a lot of people missed it. Right. So when they, when the trailer came out, first thing I was looked at the TV and I was like, where did black handmaids come from? <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> I know, I I was like, see y'all retelling the story already and trying to gloss over racism yeah. and, you know, in the conser- in the conservative Christian, right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and I'm already mad. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm I'm going into it mad, so we are gonna see how I feel about that. So um, that's gonna be an interesting weekend because I'm gonna I'm gonna start watching Handmaid's Tale and I'm gonna uh, read When She Woke, and um, I'm probably gonna be really ready to start uh, burning some shit come Monday morning. Uh, we'll see how that works. out. I have heard good the good things from my friends um, who have watched it so far, but I haven't started it. I might reread the book again before I watch it. I don't know. That might satisfy me and I have enough handmaids. Yeah. <laughs> I have a copy of When She Woke around here too, Sam. I'll try to read it at the same time. Yeah. So we can have something to scream about. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm down with that. So now we do the good part. Uh, what we drinking? Trey, what you drinking? I am drinking a port. Um, You're fancy. I, it is also the cough syrup of of wine um but i love dessert wines and i'm a lightweight so whoo yeah i'm 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 enjoying this this port very sweet cool Mm -hmm. that's all fancy what you drinking alicia Mm, well i made the mistake Uh (coughs) of buying a super just basic as fuck cider I, i got fooled i fell for it um because, you know, sometimes the selection in ciders at the grocery store is, like, terrible. <coughs> I'm sorry. You had to edit me. Um, but Angry Orchard had this new one that was Mm-mm. called Easy Apple. They Mm-mm. were like, it's our dry cider. It's not sweet. Mm-mm. I was like, well, Mm-mm. you know what? I'll, I'll try it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You're right. <laughs> it doesn't even, like, it, it tastes like nothing. Like, it's just liquid. In your mouth, and there's a faint apple taste. So I was like, "Damn it!" So I got to do something with it. I got I got five of them after I started the first one. So I mixed it with bourbon, a little bit of honey, and a little bit of cinnamon tonight. So that's what I'm drinking, and it is much better this way. Wow. I am a better human for this. It's a little chilly out tonight here, so I can pretend it's winter time. I got a little cinnamon, some bourbon. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you something else. All right. <laughs> All right. So, okay. It's on me. So, I learned my lesson. 
from last time we recorded. Because last time we recorded, I recorded with a with a bottle of bourbon next to me. And I ended up drinking a half a bottle of bourbon while we were recording. So I learned a lesson. Um, and I mixed one drink and left the bottle outside. I'm drinking a grapefruit vodka and tonic in my right hand, which is delicious. It's the Deep Edie's uh, red grapefruit. grapefruit vodka. The Deep Edie's is amazing. Um, I was real, I was skeptical as fuck when I first ran into the Deep Edie's. I'm like, it's made in Texas. Um, and I don't like nothing in Texas. Uh, but when I was at the store, was, that was the only thing they had. I was like, well, I guess I got to try it. Um, and I'm glad I did, but this one is really good. Um, so I'm drinking vodka and tonic in my right hand. And in my left hand, because I'm double fisting it tonight, I am drinking a Three Floyds Space Station Middle Finger American Pale Ale, which... <laughs> Most people know I'm not into the hops, so it's not extremely hoppy. Um, it's hoppy, but it's not too hoppy. And it's actually kind of good because it's got a little citrus bite to it um, mm -hmm. that's not overpowered by the hops. So I'm going back and forth between the two um, because, you know, it helps balance me out. I like sounds terrible. a lot. I like their beers that I wouldn't like from something else. So I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's kind of, um, it's got a little malt to it too, which I always make the joke that that takes me back to my, to my, uh, my younger days <laughs> of drinking way too much Coke 45. Um, don't tell nobody that. I don't want to admit that for real. Uh, so it's a little malty, a little hoppy and got a little bit of a citrusy bit to it. So I'm really enjoying that in my left hand and my vodka and tonic in my right hand. So that's what I'm drinking. I approve. So that covers keep, our, our, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I keep having these moments where I feel like I'm just chilling, drinking port and listening to the podcast. And then I realize, <laughs> no, I'm on the podcast. I have the same thing. I'm just like, this is my second glass. And I'm like, wow, I'm just enjoying this. <laughs> but no, That's it's live. Funny. I'm actually a part of the conversation. Yes. It's like, that's how much of the conversation. That's how much I listen to the show, like all the time. Seriously, 149 episodes. This is 150. Yep. Uh, my, my my wife just came in. This is 150, babe. So that's a nice round number. But there's so <laughs> many to listen to while you're driving. So I feel like I'm just listening to the show, and then I have to chime in. I'm like, whoa, startled. <laughs> well, see, this will be a good one for you to go back and listen to, as a whole, right? <laughs> because. We because we know I like listening to myself, obviously. <laughs> right, because you know the Sims. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, and you know what? We're gonna put a link to we're gonna put a link to oh, that in the no. show notes. Uh, <laughs> that, that's like high school yearbook pictures. That's how I feel. Uh, but it, I was surprised to find that people really liked the series and were like, "What happened to you? Where did you go?" I mean, it was like three years ago. You know, where did you go? And I'm like, you know, I was just, I was just, I don't know what I was doing. Trying not to make tenure that time around. I don't know what I was doing. Because that was so labor intensive, editing those videos. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's that's good. We don't have to put the link in the show notes. So people can go back and watch and start harassing you to make more uh, Sims videos. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
Oof. Don't be mean, Sam. Okay, damn. Even though that's what I'm good at. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's talk about some stuff. Let's do it. All right, so Trayma asked the first question. Okay. Oh, I can let Alicia ask the first question since she did, you know, pose this one. I'm all bossy and I just like start taking over shit. You like are. I'm the boss or something. Ugh, I don't know how anybody deals with you. I don't either. All right. So, so go I, ahead now. You're, okay, you're going to let me. Mm-hmm. Right. So, in Blackness is Burning, mm-hmm. you start with a discussion that I find really fascinating on the idea of recognition. So... Often we talk about, like, just, we, we kind of fold everything under the umbrella of representation. Mm-hmm. But I really like what you're saying about recognition. And I was hoping that for the listeners, you might tell them a little bit. Yes. Okay. So, yeah, the book is about the politics of recognition. Um, and what I say is that it connects with it collides with the politics of representation so i think of the politics of of representation in a very kind of discreet way of this is these cause for increased visibility i mean i'm kind of adapting this from how cultural studies uh folks like Stuart hall um talk about this herman gray is another person who talks media scholar um he talks about politics of representation and connecting that to increased visibility so this is you know the politics of representation where we see people of color or you know from different cultures of different faiths in these different kinds of cultural works and um in the book i'm mostly talking about traditional media i'm talking about you know television film i also talk about popular pulp fiction uh but it's mostly television and film and uh, eventually I get to talking about video games, not in this book, but in my other writing, um, talking about this politics of recognition, representation, and video games. So if on the one hand, the politics of representation are these conversations we keep having about, you know, where are the people of these different, you know, backgrounds and abilities, et cetera, in these works, that's all a part of that system of the politics of representation. I say a part of what goes along with that is often this politics of recognition where attached to that is this agenda of trying to recognize the racial other. And in the case of blackness is burning, you may have guessed it's about black people. (laughs) So trying to (laughs) recognize black people as human. And I say that this is a ultimately a psychological project. This is a project Mm -hmm. that is often couched in psychological terms. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I use some psychoanalysis to kind of dissect that and make that more clear. But we have these quasi psychological ways of talking about race. And I say that this is attached to that. This project of here's a humanized version. Here's a version of a black person. And the point of this cultural work, the point of this film you know, the point of this television show, the point of this character is to prove their humanity yeah. and have the people around them, the characters around them in the film or people who are in the audience say, aha, damn it, that's a person, you know, um, that I see their humanity now. I know that you are. Per-. So I mostly write about the civil rights era which is where I, I centralize some of these things in that time frame because I say that that's where in popular culture we see an explosion of these attempts, right, pairing the politics of representation with the politics of recognition. But 
my point is also that this is this is something that has continued over has carried over to our our contemporary popular cultural works so i talk about films like precious for example which is a you know a much more contemporary film Mm -hmm. um being invested in the same politics uh so that is again can we know that this black person is human how do we know um whether you're talking about a film like Fruitvale Station and the Oscar Grant story, you know, we get the story of like, let me show you this person's life so that you'll know that they were human, so that you'll know that it was ultimately wrong for them to be shot down by police, right? Or if it's an if it's a, if it's a um, a fictionalized story, then okay, it's like precious. Well, then you know you'll know that this woman who you would otherwise not recognize as human because she's maybe dark complexion, she's overweight, she's a black woman. Hard to recognize her humanity. Let me tell you a story about her so that you'll basically rouse these feelings of empathy you'll become an empathizing spectator and realize her humanity so i'm very critical of this politics in the book uh because i say that first of all it's never about that it's never that that part of what goes along with that project are these rituals of destruction and survival that are used to prove that humanity so you have to see them suffer you have to see them survive that suffering and that's part of what elicits this empathy uh, so you might have an empathizing spectator say, oh, wow, or a character in, a, in the film say, you know, oh, wow, precious, you know, I'm sorry your mother threw you down the stairs. You really are a person who deserves not to be thrown down the stairs. And let me show you that, you know, I, I understand that. And in the mm-hmm. case of the empathizing spectator, I argue that it's always all about them. And I use a film like Antoine Fisher, another contemporary film, to make this particular point about the empathizing spectator that it's really the project of that is to show the empathizing spectator lessons about themselves that, oh my gosh, you know, I have not been living up to my own um, abilities because look at how bad that person had it. And what am I doing over here? You know, I'm not even a good doctor. Like that's the project is always inward looking and inward turning Mm -hmm. um, when it is that project of empathy. But then there are other types of spectators. There's the identifying spectator who will say, oh, wow, I identify with that person. And so therefore I know that person is human because that person is just like me. But Mm -hmm. obviously in that case, that is also kind of mitigated recognition because it, it again is about the identifying spectator who's fusing their story, their history uh, with the character, you know, or with the other person. And then importantly, there's this third group of spectators who are the resistant spectators. And because I'm talking most about film and television, you know, I use spectators. That group of people will never see a human falling down the stairs. Uh, but, you know, no matter what happens, no matter what kinds of orchestrated, uh, you know, scenes of suffering, scenes of harm, whatever you can conjure up, you'll never evoke those feelings of either identification or empathy from that camp of, of people. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then when these things do, when it does work out for the identifying spectator or the empathizing spectator, usually within those works, those moments of recognition are very fleeting. So I say this is a thorny politics of recognition that even when it is achieved is is usually fraught with all of these uh, problems, you know, e- either because it's it's trying to force an, or create an identifying spectatorship, an empathizing spectatorship, or is completely unaware of the resistant type of viewers spectators gamers we might add to that who are who are never going to be a part of that project Mm -hmm. um 
So that's kind of Blackness is Burning. And so the case studies are like Sidney Poitier films, uh, you know, the 60s and 70s. The Bad Black Mama have a long chapter on the Black Black Mama, who I say is a double is in a double bind because usually in these stories around her, people cannot recognize her humanity. That's kind of a given um, around you know in the stories and the films around her. But she's often this monstrous type of figure because she can't recognize her own children's humanity. So in these mother daughter narratives, you know, like Imitation of Life or like Precious, you know, the more contemporary examples, that's what you see. Other modern contemporary examples are like Moonlight, you know, the film that does a lot of things really well and I like it in a lot for a lot of reasons, but has this chronic bad, bad black mama figure who cannot recognize her son's humanity. But the way we recognize his humanity is because of her failure of being able to recognize him. So that that character, the black mo- the bad black mama is an important figure because the stories kind of need her to fail at that project so that others can succeed at it in recognizing either the queer subjects uh humanity and moonlight or precious or you can think of any number of other films, you know, again, Antoine Fisher, Precious, uh, et cetera, films like Imitation of Life. And whether she's outwardly destructive or depressive, like the Imitation of Life mother, the results are still the same. They can't recognize their own children's like agency, humanity, et cetera. So the project is left up to the rest of the, you know, the nation by, by analogy. Um, and then, you know, I talk about pimps, pimp culture, and kind of that's another chapter. Bill Cosby and Fat Albert is, uh, and his fantasies around black boyhood, and this project, this latent project of recognition that's there in his works, um, mostly in Fat Albert and his stand-up routines. Um, and, and, and then, like I said, I always kind of turn it back to this moment and say that these are the case studies that we have that are kind of at the heart of this, uh, where the politics of rec- representation meet the politics of, of recognition. Mm-hmm. But we can see our, our, our modern contemporary culture, you know, flowing from some of these cornerstones. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, was really interesting. I, that's, that's fantastic. But you, it was really interesting to me, not, but, but, and what's really interesting to me is how much of that is tied up, not only in in empathy, but in acceptability and respectability, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So it, it oftentimes it is it is only those characters who um, are seen to be respectable in some way, shape, or form. Yes, right. That are worthy of that empathy. Yes, right. Absolutely. And and that. I think, you know, between that, the notions of the notion of, you know, the monstrous, the monstrous black male, the notion of magical Negro, um, the all of these these notions of, of black folk as not human, I was getting us killed. <laughs> right. So, I mean, yeah. and, and to to. And that's one of the things that gets to me and gets at me when we start talking about film, when we start talking about representation in games, when we start talking about representation in literature or comics or any of these things, is that that this is dangerous, right? Because there is this notion that, you know, black folk are monstrous, black folk are superhuman, black folk are anything but human. 
And if we are going to align ourselves with them and understand where they come from in any way, they have to be like us. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And if we can't find that likeness, then we can't find that humanity. Right, right, right. Absolutely. It's murderous empathy. You know, that's another way of looking at it is in order to be able to see, uh, you know, the other racial other as human, I have to try to, I, ha- I have to become, I have to be, find those empathetic feelings. But in order for me to locate that, I really have to see you go through something, see you come through it. That's that destruction survival pattern. Mm-hmm. Destroyed, you know, being shot or being, um, you know, it might be even a verbal confrontation or whatever. I have to see you go through that. Then I have to see you survive it. But what you're surviving into is this American exceptionalist image of yes. what, uh, it means to be American, that that sort of Americanist universal ideal of, okay, you're now suitable for joining this yeah. vision of what you got to earn that is, shit. Right, which is tied to um, this American kind of nationalist vision. It's a fantasy, right? But that's what I have to see you as able to integrate into the fabric of what it means to be a citizen. Mm-hmm. And if I can't see you, if you are, you know, law, if you're a pimp, like the like uh, DJ and hustle and flow, you mm-hmm. actually can be redeemed um, through this very process if you have certain kind of capitalist aspirations, right? If you can kind of transcode and transcribe those aspirations and kind of you know funnel them into the hip hop industry and and reproductively uh, sublimate them, right? Then, then maybe we can have that empathy for you. But we got to see you go through some stuff. We got to see you, um, you know basically go through these various rituals and then we'll we'll have that empathy for you um so on the one hand yeah it's murderous empathy because guess what happens sometimes in that destruction process people actually die they get shot they're killed um you know they they're barely like precious and uh you know the film precious um she's gonna die she has aids and Mm -hmm. two children by her father so it's these tiny recognitions that don't add up to anything or it's this big revelatory thing of like, oh, okay, you cool now, I get it, you know, but you have to fit into this mold after that process. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's where the politics of respectability um, enter, that you're now a respectable subject. Once you've been recognized as human, you can be recognized as a capital, as a respectable capitalist subject. And, um, you know, if you can't survive that whole cycle, that whole process, then you're unredeemable, right? There are those who will not be integrated mm-hmm. uh, into into the fabric of what America. It's usually, you know, certain subjects. Black women, no matter what you're trying to do, you probably aren't going to make it. I'm just going to tell you now. That's a, spo- <laughs> that's a spoiler for the book. That in all the case studies, that quite oftentimes what maybe may can happen is um, black men might be recognized, but our media culture, and again, I bring it back to media, is um, you know chronically has chronic challenges when it comes to trying to even give us the Sydney Portier uh, uh, of a, bl- a black woman, Sydney Portier, who can have that kind of star kind of durability in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, no, good luck. You know, that, that probably isn't going to happen. So they're this ultimate test case for this politics of recognition, I say. And when we see those bad black mamas, we should be alerted to the fact how how, how screwed up this system is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right, Alicia, you want to ask the next question? Or... Um, sure. Okay. So 
and I think this segues really well with everything that you were just saying. Um, we spend a lot of time talking about bad characters, bad examples of these things, especially video games, because video games are pretty bad about characters in general, but they're mm. extra bad about anybody who's marginalized in any way. Like, mm. they just can't, they often can't even handle it. Um, but we don't talk as much about good examples. Um, so I was wondering, you know, what you thought. And you don't have to limit it to video games. We can talk about media in general, just whatever. Uh-huh. Well, um, yeah, or be- let's I say mean, better examples. I think that <laughs> an ideal would be, you know, I think that for this would be my wish. And I don't, you know, I, I I'm not a creative, um, a creative writer of of any sort in this moment. Um, I have been in the past, but you know, well, that that was grad school. But I would wish, I would hope for narrative culture, uh, whether we're talking about you know novels or films or um, video games, etc., to not start out with the aspiration. At the very least, let's not start with the aspiration of I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this humanized, relatable story of this character. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're starting out with like people, you know, marginalized character. When you're starting out with people of color, you know, whoever. I would love to not start there as a starting place because I think that in order to try to arouse those feelings, there are some trade-offs and some things that you might have to do that are going to be problematic at the end of the day. Um, And so if you abandon that, what if we abandon this project of recognition or humanized, you know, blackness or otherness or whatever as a project altogether, Mm -hmm. then I think that, would open the room, you know, would, would give us some other types of stories to tell, perhaps some surprises, you know? Um, so, uh, what are some good examples? I had a, I have a hard time with this question because there's game, there are games that I have had a lot of fun with. Right. They're not these good examples right. that I have enjoyed. And so we know that there are, but we have know, to look for those gray areas, right? Those overlaps. Oh yeah. And co-opting, you know, that yeah. you know that you're given a raw deal, um, but for whatever reason, you're able to hijack that uh, story, that character, and appropriate it and make it work for you. And so some of my favorite moments in gaming have, have been in that vein. Um, like, any kind of customizable, well, not any kind of customizable world, <laughs> but a lot of the customizable character worlds, though they have their drawbacks and they kind of get off the hook because, you know, they don't, they're, they're not actually trying to tell culturally specific stories. They're mm-hmm. just giving you these skin tones that you can mix and match and whatever. And sometimes very bad hair, hair options <laughs> and skin tone <laughs> options for people of color. I mean, there are flaws and faults there for sure. But, you know, being a hacktivist kind of player, uh, you, you have these moments where you, you take those tools and you make them work for you. And one of my favorite moments was playing Fallout 3, where I was, and I looked at the graphics of Fallout 3 recently and was like, ooh, ah, ooh, I don't know. Yeah, why. right. I thought that character was so awesome looking. <laughs> and she was everything to me. Um, but I've gone back to look at it and been like, wow. But in that moment, you know, I had a black woman character who wore a sheriff's hat for some reason all through the game. And, you know, you had that VAT system. So you have that like third person, like slow down camera, that third person camera 
kind of showing you in slow motion blowing off someone's head or something and that just never got old but I remember having that black woman wandering through the wasteland and being like it was like a winter quarter too, a winter term dark New England snow you know the height of like seclusion and potential depression (laughs) and I was playing in the wasteland wandering this like decimated you know uh, I think it was DC and one of the companions you could have was Star Paddling Cross. I never forget Star Paddling Cross because she was a brother. Even though I hated everything the Brotherhood stood for, mm-hmm. she was a black woman in the Brotherhood. Yeah. And I was a black woman character in this RPG, and we wandered and conquered that wasteland together. We were walking <laughs> and walking and walking, shooting, you know, um, uh, half wolf, half dog, whatever creatures were out in the wasteland, freaky things, you know, mutants and everything. And I just had a whole story and a whole, you know, just a, a fantasy about these two black women in the wasteland get, getting by these hard dystopian times. And none of that was intended, I'm sure, you know. And Star Paddling, I don't even remember her ever talking. I mean, <laughs> she must have had some dialogue. I don't remember a single word from her. Uh, I should go back and play it. But it was just the attachment to that possibility that openness that mm-hmm. ended up being there because you know there wasn't an attempt to do that and i would have liked perhaps some other story like here if you're going to customize this character your character is going to look this way maybe you can have these different background options with actual you know um like culturally specific highlights in their backstory i mean there could have been some stuff done like that it didn't do that and i still you know enjoyed it anyway so that's kind of the unexpected, like, hijack approach. Uh, well, you know, when people play RPGs, we just, well, you, can, you can have your own story. Even when you don't have an RPG, I've done it a lot uh, with other games. Um, and the Mass Effect series, too, yeah. not the most recent Mass Effect, but nope. my Commander Shepard Mass Effect, oh, man, I had some stories about her, you know. And um, what was her name? Liara. Liara? Yes. Blue, yes. That blue alien sex, that that those scenes. Um, I mean, just just being able to imagine a whole other story on mm-hmm. top of that, you mm-hmm. know, and just like I think I even had a dream with her in it one time. Like, <laughs> she she just popped up, not that kind of dream, but she just popped up <laughs> in the dream and was just like there in the like as an ordinary. I don't know my daily life, but like Liara was just in the in the world in the in the dream world. Because she was so, like, normalized to me by that yes. point of spending so much time in Mass Effect. So, okay, so I have to tell you that I'm the same way about Mass Effect. Mass Effect, well, Mass Effect, th- Mass Effect 2 and 3 were better than 1, but yes. my Commander Shepard was my Commander Shepard, right? And, like, I tell, like, Liara, yes, I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. Liara named a star after me. I don't want to hear anything you got to say. Yes. Yes. No, Liara was my girl. Yes. And I, I mean, but it was just, it, it was just so much attached to, and at the time, again, I thought the character customization options for my Commander Shepard were, were decent. Mm-hmm. Um, more so in Mass Effect 1. I thought you could make some good looking black people in Mass Effect 1. And then later, I don't know, but. You could kind of import them, I think, too. So, mm-hmm. so maybe it was a version of her. Um, but I want to get my video, all the cutscenes, off of my old systems and just like I, one of these days. You know, this is one of those post tenure projects of loading up all those systems and getting that footage of my Commander Shepard and some of those highlight moments 
off of those systems. Yeah. Because there was such a strong connection and like psychic, you yes. know, potential there around that. And again, like I know I was asked like what what are some good examples, but like that was a good example. You didn't give me the narrative. You didn't t- you didn't go yeah. through these rituals of destruction and survival that I'm talking about around black characters. Yep. So I was free. Even though there's, you know, problems with the customization system uh, mm-hmm. as a stand-in for, like, really good and interesting stories, um, at the t- that's what I had, and, and I worked with it. Um, but as far as other kind of more, you know, locked-in story experiences, Never Alone, you got your, your interview, yeah. your Never Alone interview, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> amazing, great stuff. That game was fun. My wife and I played it on a stream, um, a charity stream, and I mean, just the co-op, but hearing the story of their decision to have, you know, the um, young girl be the lead as, as opposed to a young boy mm-hmm. and then having the ca- the Fox character, you know, have to have a cooperative experience with her. And then the stories and the documentary footage, that game is, is awesome yeah. all through and through. Yes. And it, and it makes me wonder, you know, what other games could, what games could be like if there's a much more... Um, hard and fast like community relationship to developing games and what if we imagine other communities giving other people communities of young kids intergenerational intergenerational communities on a, a chance to help build and create video games I mean yeah. they don't have to have the programming experience but they have the story experience they have the cons they can have the concepts um, what if you actually work with people who are going to be playing this these games for a particular reason um, as opposed to, you know, just people who are creating games, creating the games. Well, then we, need, a... we need game companies to privilege people who can tell stories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and work with people, not just, yeah, just the storytellers. Work with communities and say, you know, I'm going to go to South Central L.A. and we're going to make a game. And yeah. what game do you want to play? Like, actually asking people instead of giving us another, you know, GTA uh, in the hood character. <laughs> you know, I still love you, Franklin. I do. I mean, I gave you some nice clothes and everything but you know i thought we played that in san andreas didn't i play that in san andreas so instead of giving us that in games like can we actually ask people what they want to play and work with people around a particular idea so never alone is really inspiring to me you know for that reason okay so that's a good segue because you know what because you you just brought up a good point right so um having to ask folks what they want to play. I haven't asked people how they want to be represented, right? Rather than just mm-hmm. coming in and taking that voice away from them, taking that agency away from them and representing them in the way that they see fit. Um, so I had a very similar experience with Mass Effect, right? Especially Mass Effect 2 and 3. But mm-hmm. when we start talking about, I had an interesting experience with Mafia 3. Mm. Um, and I think think that and I've talked about this before I talked about this a lot right because I talked about Mafia 3 a lot right I wrote about Mafia 3 a lot yes. all over the place um, but starting to think about Mafia 3 is like I, I wondered why I felt a sense of connection to Mafia 3 mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm old but I'm not that old right because so Mafia 3 takes place in 1968 I wasn't born until 1969 but it, for some reason to feel a connection to that time period, um, because of my 
relationship and the stories that my mother told, mm. right, was was a big thing for me. Yes. Um, but at the same time, you know, we talk about gray area, right? We talk about, you know, wanting to like, wanting to love, wanting to feel a connection to, but at the same time going, but, right? So when we started talking um, about Lincoln Clay, so we have this character who is who comes out and is like, okay, so I'm going to fight the mafia, right? Because, you know, it's it's like that that thing that, you know, all the black folks wanted to do to get back at what was being done to them. But at the same time, he had a price to pay. Right. Um, and that is that, that same, that same question about how much it costs to be redeemable, to be respectable in the eyes of the other. Mm-hmm. And that's, that was, that's my struggle with that game. Right. Because, I mean, I, I think about like my uncle coming back from Vietnam and I think about all the shit and all the struggles he had. Right. right? And then I look at Lincoln Clay and I'm like, see, but that's never dealt with when you start to talk about what real life is like, not only in terms of interactions with other, but struggles with self and their systemic and institutional issues and racism that doesn't get touched in the same kind of way. So instead of trying to put it on, put the onus where it should be, it's like, we're going to put it on the mafia because that's safe. Right. 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 Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, Hmm. See, people always ask me when I've been, um, you know, going to talk about blackness is burning this year in different venues. People always ask me, well, what what film or what story do you think doesn't do this? Yeah. And, you know, I think the first time I got that question, I was like, I don't know. No, I, was, I, don't, I can't <laughs> think of an example that didn't, that was about, that was about black people that didn't, wasn't locked into this paradigm of like, okay, we have to prove your humanity through these trials. I mean, trial and survival, destruction and survival is like, a part of the American black story. Right. Right. So like it's substantiated. Okay. Fact that I'm still here. It's substantiated, (laughs) you know, but, um, but oftentimes I, I actually think about video games. And at one point when I got that question, I was like, you know what? I think it might be a genre question to a certain extent that like dramas and melodramas, especially are going to be way more susceptible to this. Mm -hmm. But, sometimes action films and or action you know so i was thinking about black exploitation to a certain extent yeah black exploitation films and then mafia 3 has its various influences but black exploitation was one that i kept thinking of a lot um and also because it's a civil rights retrospective and you know what yeah. i write about in the book is civil rights and it's kind of has a buddy film a buddy story in the middle of it too mm-hmm. but it's an atypical buddy story at least i mean again i'm 90 percent of the way finished with this game mm-hmm. so i don't know where it really ends up what the sort of final stamp is on mm-hmm. that relationship mm-hmm. so i would like to th- you know finish it and then think about this but it doesn't follow like a Sidney Poitier buddy film trajectory. No. Um, it's not about Lincoln Clay is doesn't exist for his I forget what his friend's name is, um, who's helping him. 
Um, and also re-narrating his story. That there's some problems there with like yeah. the documentary footage. Yeah. Um, and and you know what uh, what they're trying to tell the story they're trying to tell about him, yeah. and then his friends like intervention in that story. Mm-hmm. Right. There's some stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. But um, but but it doesn't follow that same. It didn't at least for what I saw. It didn't follow that same pattern of oh my gosh, you know, everybody's calling you the N-word, but you're not. You know, to me, you're Mm -hmm. something else. Mm -hmm. He doesn't redeem him in that way, as far as I could tell. Um, And I wasn't sure, even though Lincoln loses everything at the beginning of the game, it wasn't always about that. The emphasis wasn't on his suffering. The emphasis is on revenge. And the emphasis is on this, like, action plot that is motivating, you know, the story. Mm -hmm. That's driving it as opposed to this sort of dynamics of loss and trying to recover from that. Mm -hmm. Psychologically, we don't actually have a lot of access to Lincoln, even though he has trauma at times. You know, you can sort of see these moments. We don't have that kind of psychological access to him. So... And, and there have been moments when I've said, you know, I think Mafia 3 might be doing something different here than what I've seen before. There's there's definitely the imprint of all these um, challenges are there. The little, like, inflections of, you know, the politics of recognition are here in the fabric of this story for so many reasons. Like I said, the buddy, you know, narrative, the civil rights retrospective. And a lot of times we tell these civil rights retrospectives because... Americans want to look back on it as the moment where they got it right. It's redeeming to the, it's redeeming to the freaking country, you know, of like, wow, that's why the remember the Titans type of story is, oh, you know, we, we bask in this nostalgic glow of this interracial unity. And so it didn't feel like that, you know, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've, I've been thinking that it might do something different. But like I said, I want to finish the game and, and then play it again and watch it, people play it, and read what you wrote written about it, Sam, because until I finish the game, like I said, I can't read anything. <laughs> I can't read anything about it until I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all the way done and I figure out what I think about it mm-hmm. and then, you know, and then get more involved in the conversation. Um, and I was on Spot on Me when we talked about it, but we didn't talk about the ending. So yeah. uh, we talked about a few of these different things. So, yeah, that's what I think is that I'm tempted to say that it's maybe doing something different, even though there are inflections of this there all over the place, mm-hmm. which could produce that little, you know, that discomfort of like, I, I, there's something here that does bother me. But mm-hmm. then I keep coming back to it. I, I so, you know, so Mafia 3 is one of the most defining, if not the most defining game games of my experience as a gamer. Yeah. And even though I love Liara and that time in the <laughs> wasteland with Star Paddling Cross, you know, Mafia 3 is so important because it's overtly dealing with the politics, with some of these things. It's overtly dealing with white supremacy. It's yes. overtly saying, you know, white supremacy is unrecruitable. You can't recruit these white supremacists in these, like, you know, human trafficking rings and, you know, the Dixie clan, I forget what they're called, the Dixie clan people. You yep. can't take over those, you can't take over the that, Mafia. that district or something. You can't yeah. do that, yeah. you know. So that is that's speaking to that resistant type of spectator that I you know that I said exists who is not a part of this project. They will never get the empathizing. They will never have that slight benefit of the empathizing spectator of the or the identifying spectator. They just aren't on board with it. And so they can't even participate in the meta fantasy of America because 
this game is saying no you you don't belong you can't be in this you can't be a part of this we can't flip you we can't recruit you we can't even work with you to participate in the fantasies that are also problematic you can't even get to that level of being a part of the bogus fantasies and that to me is something very new but Trey, here's the question what does it mean that people ain't playing this game See, cause, oh my gosh, that's everything, yeah. Because so this semester I was teaching um, a game theory class in the humanities, right? Yeah. And then I was also teaching a game design class over in um, CGT in computer graphic technology. Mm-hmm. Now, one is a smallish class; there was like fifteen people. The other is large; is one of those large, you know, science classes. So forty odd, fifty people. Right? Yeah. I polled both classes. Not one student in Mm -hmm. either class had played Mafia 3. Yes. Okay. So I had a much smaller sample because I was working on a digital humanity. Before in the fall, before I broke my leg, I was working on a digital humanities project. And I have like seven interns and only one wanted to work on Mafia 3. And she was supposed to be archiving and doing all this stuff for me on this game. And all the other projects finished up, basically. We got, like, these spreadsheets. You know, we're looking for these different patterns and stuff. The Mafia 3 student just disappeared. I still don't know where this student went. <laughs> and she was, a, my own, she was one of my few. I don't get a lot of black students. Like, she was one of my few black students. And she was like, oh, my gosh, this game is so meaningful. It's so important. I want to study it. I haven't seen her the rest of this. I can't find her. She doesn't answer my emails. <laughs> so that's a much smaller sample. Yeah. But it just goes to say that, yeah, the students aren't playing it and when i taught my dystopian games class i mean we didn't i didn't teach mafia three uh but i always poll them on what they're playing in in any given semester Mm -hmm. and and no one was playing it and the critical reception of the game the critical reception of the game has been mixed yeah um the the fan or the user you know the gamer reception of the game has been very low Mm -hmm. but you know that's reflective of the culture of white supremacy right so i'm not surprised by that but it it it's hugely important that people aren't playing the game. You know, this is kind of like, this is why you guys got to see Get Out. This is what Get Out would be if it had a, a, a slight, if it was much more direct. If Get Out was more direct, if it took out some of the comic relief, if it had a different ending, I'm not, I'm not spoiling anything by saying this, it would not speak to the majority. It would not be um, embraced by the mainstream. And Mafia 3 is like a sobering Get Out. It, it's like, no, yeah. this is i'm not pulling any punches here um with any of with this content in particular right and there's just not going to be a market for that there's not a market for that in scholarship um i mean you have you know one or two people who are going to read your book like read your article read your book or you know um mm-hmm. a bigger sample of people if you're going to write you know online and and have things kind of more readily accessible a bigger sample of people are going to read that but in the grand scheme of things you know, we're not talking about the like millions of people who could receive this. They're yeah. just not going to because they don't want to hear the message. They don't like the message. They're the resistance spectators. Right. We're just not here for that. Right. And one of the things this, this camp hides behind is this, um, you know, you guys talk about this often is the um, the these these discussions about mechanics, you know, the sort of ever yep. receding sun sunset, ever receding sun sunrise what the heck is it the ever receding horizon of 
of the mechanic, you know, mechanical fidelity or mechanical sophistication. Yeah. Of oh, the game was broken or oh, this. You know, you you guys talk about it well on, on in many other cases. Mm-hmm. And so oh, it was too repetitive or oh, it was too this. You know what? GTA is repetitive. The Godfather is repetitive. Every game is all repetitive. Of the, all of the games are repetitive, especially these kind of games. The games cut out of this mode. The other mafia games, you know, the Godfather. You know, the thing is, with so many games, they boil down to this. You talk to somebody, that person finds themselves completely incapable of, like, tying their shoes or leaving <laughs> the house or whatever. For some reason, they need you to do a thing, so you go do the thing. That's gay. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you will do it again. You know, yeah. oh, give me that other district. It looks just like the first one. Right. Um, so, so yeah. So then there's going to be this, like, technical supremacy, um, you know, argument that is, mm-hmm. that is levied against games that people don't like. And that happened with Afro Samurai, which was, in many ways, a broken game, but a wonderful game. <laughs> a wonderful broken game. Um, and people didn't play it. You know, I don't remember what the Metacritic score was or the GameSpot review or whatever. It was probably the kiss of death in the sevens uh, or mm. below. And yeah, people seven. won't Ooh. do it. So part of what has to be talked about here is just how do you do um, – I mean, there's a couple of things that are relevant here is how do you do meaningful games, you know, studies, kind of research and work around games in this context of, you know, people will not play the games, people dismiss the games, um, people attack the games with the low score, the sort of journalism um, culture around games and that effect that it can have on a game. Um, the Metacritic culture, the journalistic culture, you know, whatever. So what does that all mean for game studies research? And then just the other side of, for, for the industry, the real issues of, okay, you know, do we need these games to make money? Um, probably, you know, do we want our games to reach a mass audience? Probably. Well, then you can't write about race. You can't talk about race yeah. in this way. You can't, there's certain things that you could never do. Yeah. Uh, so you can't answer that call for, the politics of representation you know you can't even get to the problem of recognition because um there there won't be an audience for it you know i'm working on a project right now and i'm looking at character creation and what's available so related to things that we've talked about already and one of the things that i i did was i started looking at um all of the games that you know have ex- either extremely limited options for creating a realistic looking black person or don't have any at all Mm-hmm. Right. And I started looking up discussion forums um, and like Reddit threads and things about these games when somebody would bring up, hey, guys, I can't seem to make a black person in this game. And every single time, every single time, the first response was always, well, why does that matter? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. See, and we're late enough into the um, the hour where my port is gone and I can say the name of my channel. It, it was Black Woman Gamer. Um, and mm. people, you know how many trolls I got? I got oh, the, the customary. Yes. I got the customary troll of, why, can I ask you a question, Black Woman Gamer? <laughs> if I had a channel called White Man Gamer, do you think that would be permitted on YouTube? You know, like, I got that stuff. And I'm like, motherfucker, I'm a professor. I study this shit for a living. You want me to answer that? You know, um, yeah. You know, whatever. I ignored it. But that's that's the culture, the culture yeah. of white supremacy. So here's the question I've been asking in an article that I'm writing is what does it mean if we acknowledge the fact of white supremacy 
you know, and centralize that in game studies? What if we just take that as the starting place? Yes. Um, oh. And what does that mean? Does that change how we study games, no matter what we're talking about? I mean, we could be talking about a driving game for all I care, but if we start there, you know, the, the culture of white supremacy is alive, it's a machine, it's totalizing, it affects every aspect of our digital and non-digital lives, if we centralize that in our discussions about games, um, do we do things differently? Can we teach games differently? Mm -hmm. Can, do we do non-black, you know, academics especially approach this stuff differently? Right. Um, so that when when we have a channel called Black Woman Gamer, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a, a, a different conversation because um, these fools who are trolling have had a white man say, you know what? <laughs> um, games and white supremacy go hand in hand. Okay. I have two responses to this. <laughs> the first is, Sam, can we keep her? <laughs> like forever? Yeah. Yes. Forever and ever. Second is, I mean, you know, you know this answer. That's why you're writing the article. The minute that we, we do that ever in any situation that we start there, people don't listen. We've yeah. got to get those those white men to do it at night. I mean, look at some certain things that happened this week. Yeah. <laughs> some certain right. articles that ran in major publications that were reductive and kind of foolish. And not naming names, though Jenny Murray did. Um <laughs> Gosh, I'm Googling now. What did she say now? Um, yeah, it, I, I didn't have enough to drink to start telling tales. <laughs> okay. You can tell me offline. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, it, we, need, we need that to not be the first response, right? The, well, but why does this matter? Right. And it always is. Oh, but creators should have the freedom to create whatever characters they want. That's not the issue. That's a symptom. Right. Well, it's the not decision... only why does it matter, but it's what about the white man's? Oh, of course it is. Yeah. But the decisions to like construct a world, to build a game where like there's just conveniently not any black people, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a matter of like, this is the story I see. It's the world that they live in. Mm. And it's the world that needs to be considered from that position. And clearly that shit ain't going to happen because you try to do that. Everybody just freaks out. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have any answers. I'm I'm frustrated and angry. Not as frustrated yeah. and angry as other people, but pretty fucking frustrated and angry. Yeah. But so, I mean, so yes. The uh, and to talk about how all of this kind of comes together in and stuff that we've been seeing and talking about this week, right? So, um not only is, you know, because Alicia don't want to name names because she ain't had enough to drink, but you know what? I'm going to name names. So she's talking about, you know, Ian Bogo's piece in The Atlantic, right? So not only have oh we... Oh, my God. Yeah, so not only have we had that, yeah. but I mean, the, 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 the stuff that we've been seeing lately, right? The stuff that we've been seeing lately when we start talking about representation and recognition and, um, and social media in on Twitch, on YouTube, all these places that we see this, right? So not only are we talking about, like, PewDiePie and his madness in the in the in the in the recent weeks and months, right? But also, dude, the over the Overwatch pro who like lost his who like lost his shit and went on his nigga 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 tirade this week and lost his job and was like and people are like, but he just said a word. Why should he lose his job? Right. Yeah. 
So when we start to just get just a word, it's just a word, right? Yeah. So you know when we start getting into this and we start talking about one, if we're going to talk about and think about white supremacy, when folks think it's okay to to do these things, to to say these words that are quote unquote just words, to to do things that are offensive to other folks, and then try to pawn them off and say. Well, I didn't know, or it was just a joke, or I was upset, right? So, okay, so you can do and say these things because as a joke, you can do and say these things because you were upset. But if other folk try to do and say these things in critically engaged ways to have a conversation about the, the systems that are in place that allow this kind of behavior, then we being racist. <laughs> I mean, that's always the first thing, right? It's like, well, like you said, if I had, like, do, do drop in, part. if I had a channel called, isn't it racist for you to have a channel called? Isn't it racist for you to say? <laughs> isn't it racist? Now, first off, let's talk about what racism means and how it can't be racist. Right. <laughs> you know, so when we start getting into that, I mean, how do we even, the biggest question it's like, okay, one, I'm not, I'm never going to stop talking about it because I'm evil, I'm honorary, and I'm stubborn as fuck. So That's why I like you. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, how do we get to a point? Is you Because, Trey, you talk about it in terms of being, of talking about resistant spectators. So the big question is, is how do we get to a point that we can even start to get these resistant spectators to, to not listen and engage fully but even take their fingers out of their damn ears and stop going na 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 na, which is exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Um, I was looking at the bogus. Uh, uh, <laughs> he said this that- before. He keeps saying this all the time. That was the motivation, part of the motivation for gaming representation. Um, and we, in the original versions of that of that introduction, went after him. But but softened it because See, of read, we need to keep her. reader reviews, reader reviews, man. You know, reader reviews tell you you can't say these things or oh no, you're oh you're exaggerating this. No, we're not exaggerating. He keeps saying this thing every every couple months. He keeps saying you know video games are better without stories or you know what is representation really like that kind of stuff. Um, um, oh man, I'm sorry, <laughs> I was on a rant. No, no, you were saying please. Oh, you were saying resistant spectators. No, this was an important thing because. I am convinced, and and people who are who are not me, who are better suited than I am to do this work, have a different answer. But I am convinced that um, Mafia Three actually has the best answer for the resistant spectators. Now, I do have tenure, but I'm not immune to craziness. So let me be clear here: is I'm not saying um, shoot the resistant spectator. I'm not saying, <laughs> if, I'm not saying inflict bodily harm on anyone. Right. What I'm saying is at least theoretically, at least metaphorically, you know, what the game is telling us is that these are the people who don't belong in the nation state. These are the people who don't belong in this vision and this version of what, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what this country is. And so, um, I think that, they will never see it. They will never want. They will never take their fingers out of their ears because white supremacy is profitable. It is a system that benefits people who don't want to give up that benefit. It's plain and simple. And I don't know that 
that there is a way to have dialogue at some point. I don't. I think that the dialogue has has been attempted in many ways. There are people who may be able to cross those lines and sit down with the person who's like not gonna see it, not gonna hear it, who's gonna troll you and say, you know, can I have a white man gamer channel? That person. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's someone who's not me who can have a conversation with that person who can help them get to their level of humanity of what we would recognize as human Mm -hmm. because they're not there. They're not at that level of human. Mm -hmm. So um, they're they're not acting that way, right? So maybe there's somebody else who can do that work of cajoling and coaxing and teaching and leading and getting them there. (laughs) But I am a believer that by now, if you don't know, you know, um, it's like Ice Cube says, boys in the hood, they they don't show, they don't know, they don't show what's going on. They they don't care. They don't want to know this particular project. They're not invested in it. And in fact, they're invested in the system that is preventing this from happening. So, um, so, you know, I think, so my answer on a national scale of like what, what's happened with the current administration is that, you know, the majority actually didn't vote for this administration. Majority of this country did not want this. Now there was a large population who still who still did want this Mm -hmm. but the majority the the balance is tipping and so what i think you have to be willing to do is say you know we're not we're shutting down family members we're leaving you Uh, uncle so-and-so who continues to say the n-word and like act this way and behave this way and vote for these people you know what uncle so-and-so if you're you know a liberal white person who who wants to be down with the project you're like sorry uncle so-and-so you know goodbye I don't, there's no, the, 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 you have lost, you lose me, you lose your grandchild, we're yeah. moving on, because those lines of communication, because pacifying you is allowing you to continue to exist where you are. Yes. And having this conversation at the dinner table every Thanksgiving is getting us nowhere. And in fact, you're voting for a system that is, you know, uh, th- that is setting us back decades, okay? Decades at a time every day. Mm-hmm. Every time you turn on the news or read something, okay, we're set back decades and you voted for this and there is no tolerance for this. And so, you know, I'm not going to mafia three you but i will not be you know having thanksgiving with you anymore so um i that's what i think but there are people i've had this discussion with with others you know people friends and colleagues who don't agree and they say you know um dialogue is all we have and that we have to we have to figure out ways to talk to that population to get people to see what they don't want to see uh, we have to we have to have a project for the resistant spectator and the resistant gamer, the resistant reader, the resistant spectator, you know, that camp of, of people. But I don't know what it is. I think that um, the project is, you know, abandonment and, and you die out. Um, but anything anything less than that is is continuing to cajole and pacify and tolerate yes. this position. Yes. And it has to die out like, you know, the weed killer. You have to put the, put the weed killer down and be like, it's it's over. You can't come back. You know, um, I'm not going to tolerate this. But it has to be from within. It has to be the people closest to folks who have this orientation. So I have lost friendships because I am backing up, you know, what I'm saying because I really believe this. Uh, a long, you know, long child, child, one of my longest friends, um, you know, voted for Trump and 
when I found that out, was like, I suspected. I suspected. We, we childhood friends. We've gone our separate ways for the most part, but we still remain cordial because you got Facebook, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I said, you know what? I can't be that black friend. I can't be your one black friend. Yeah. I can't. I can't. I can't help you feel like you're okay, even though you're doing this. That is uh, that that's threatening me and everybody I know and love. Yes. You know, I cannot yeah. be that black friend and say it's just a political difference because it's not a political difference. It's just a difference and of so, opinion on the basis of your humanity. No big deal, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. No, it's 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 your humanity in question, not mine. And so this this is over. This game is over. Um, and, and I'm still astounded that people don't see that, right? Because you know what? <laughs> Trust me, I've gotten into those same arguments over and over again with people on Facebook, mm-hmm. with with kind of people locally, with people in my fucking knitting circle, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I'm like, no, no, you cannot sit back and say, you know, Uncle Joe or Auntie Mary or Grandpa Joe or whoever the hell it is 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 you know is harmless, right? Because your your uncle, your auntie, your grandma, your cousin, whoever the hell it is, questions my basic humanity, right? And if you are you know still playing that game with them and, and, and still engaging with them on that level, you are letting them know that that is okay, right? On what in yeah. whatever way you doing it, you letting them know that that's okay, and I have a problem with that because that makes me question your commitment to the cause. And and you know, folks are like, but 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 I'm like, no, 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 but you can't sit back and say, well, my husband voted for Trump, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. You married that motherfucker, man. <laughs> you know what? One time, one time, my husband <sighs> said some fucked up shit. And we did not have a cordial conversation for days. <laughs> and I was like, you will never. Because he also did it in front of you, Sam. I remember that. I know. I remember too. <laughs> I was like, you you will never. This is not acceptable. You will be on the street. I don't care where you go. <laughs> but you will not be here. Yeah. Yeah. You have to yeah. do that because this is humanity. It's not like, okay, it's not, you know, just a sort of personality quirk you have to deal with. This is other people's lives. Right. Many other people, just for y'all, it's your lives. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think the answer is that, you know, Mafia 3 feels like a once-in-a-lifetime type of game because... Uh, because I don't think you can get a you can get an audience a mass audience to play and like this game. Yeah. No matter you know no matter what it could be a mechanical genius a smooth you know a, a beauty, um and and no no single repetitive missions whatsoever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know um and it was still not it's the it's the ideology it's the it's the argument behind the game that is most offensive and threatening. And so we, we, you know, what we, what do we do in this country, in this climate right now? You unfund those types of threats. Um, yeah. And so it's, yeah. it is that type of, of threat to, you know, and the system, to the there's machine. There's no easy way to relate and recognize the humanity through Mafia 3. It's not the precious story where you feel better about yourself because you sat through it all and you felt bad at the end because this poor girl was so abused. It's, you have to experience it because mm-hmm. that's the nature of games. You don't get to just be a spectator. 
And then, you know, being able to play. See, because, um, you know what, I'm not, and I've said it before I'll and I'll say it again. I, if When I walk into any, any when I'm playing Mafia 3, if I walk into any building, parking lot, waterfront, anything, where the Dixie Mafia is, I ain't leaving until everybody dead. Yes, yes. <laughs> I know you. I know it's true. I, I actually had a moment where one white woman just said to me, I don't remember what she said. I was walking down the street, and she was like, you better not look this way, or something like that. <laughs> and I turned around and punched her in the game. But it was a deadly blow. I didn't know those hits were deadly. And I was surrounded by the police. And I'm running through the streets and stealing cars and trying to get those cars moved so slow. Oh, my gosh. Crashing in the river. You know, it was this whole ordeal because of that one moment. Like, that is the kind of thing that this game brings straight to the surface. Right. You know, and, and there is no other experience like it. No. And, um... You know, it's 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 phenomenal. It's it's phenomenal once in a lifetime. Like I kind of feel like <laughs> the analogy to this is like you know when when black newscasters and journalists had a chance. Like once you know Obama became a viable candidate and they were actually able to like talk about. They were like, hey, I get to be on TV. I get to talk about this. And for a while, you know, it didn't last. But you got to see like black journalists talking about stuff. And it was like you had the Melissa, you know. Um, Harris Perry, Perry, yeah. uh, Perry Harris show and you this this is like my that moment for me it was like I'm gonna talk about this game forever yeah I'm gonna figure out <laughs> all the things I have to say about this game and it's going to be you know I'm gonna wake up because I always talk about my projects and my sleep and you know when I was writing my books I would like in the middle of the night just be like recognition like I would just be saying stuff in my sleep like and my wife would be like wake up write it down wake up you know right get a notepad and I feel like my favorite three is like that. Like, I'm just wake up and I'm going to be like, you know, <laughs> murderous Dixie white supremacy. I'm to say this stuff in my sleep because it, it, it has a lot of potential there. Yeah. I remember, and there was a mission that I started with the game and never finished, but want to go back and try. Um, but I got afraid. I was afraid. And so I didn't do it. It was a, in the beginning of the game. I decided to give Cassandra all the districts. I was like, you know what? You bla- you're a black revolutionary and you want me. Lincoln is not. No, okay, but Cassandra was on it. And I was like, yes. you know what, Cassandra, you're my girl because I like to have my own fantasies. And I was like, the story is telling me Lincoln is not invested in this. But I am the Trey Adria is invested in this, and so shall Lincoln be invested in this mission. I'm gonna go find your guns, Cassandra, and I'm gonna give you all the districts because I don't like these other two dudes that are assaulting me. They don't, they don't like me. Right. They would be calling me the N word, just like everybody else on the street, mm-hmm. and they are only working with me because they have to. They think they have to. Right. Right. So I am for you, and you are for me. So I was giving her all the districts. Yeah. But then. In the cut scenes, the other two start complaining and fighting, and I was like, as the the gamer me got in the way, yeah. you know, um, and was like, oh no, you're gonna break the game. Oh no, you're not supposed to do this. They're warning you that this is bad because you've already given her three districts in a row. And then I started googling it and was like, what are you supposed to do with these districts anyway? And you know, found out, oh, you're supposed to distribute them evenly. People get really pissed. You're gonna have to kill people. You're gonna have to kill them. So I stopped, but. I wish I had continued with that project of giving her everything yeah. 
And then there was a version of fake internet news about giving Cassandra the districts. Like there was one, I don't know if it was the hollows or where it was, but there's some like maybe a swamp um, area, predominantly swamp area Mm -hmm. that people were like, just give her that. Like that, that was actually something I found on the internet that she would be happy if you just give her that. Yeah. It was fake news. I was like, people are lying about how to distribute this so that it disadvantages a fictional black woman character. Yeah. You're, you're actually creating fake news about a fictional black woman character. (laughs) That's how, that's where we are. And then I put the controller down. I was like, I'm going to read my dystopian novel because it makes me feel better. <laughs> I mean, this this is bad, right? Yeah. You have to create, the positives of recognition are so strong and so turned against black women that even the black woman character in a video game has a fake news cycle where they're telling you to do stuff that is basically going to sabotage her in the game. Right. I mean, you know what? I have, I, I, I am really wanting to do, and you see, you brought that up, and and that's one of the things you learn early or early ish, right? When you when you first go in and you you figure out exactly who Cassandra is and, and what's going on with her, you can see that she is the black revolutionary in the making, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, see, I want to go through and do a second playthrough where you do just give her everything because do I want to see I want to see what she does with it right because she is because even from the beginning right when she's talking when she's talking to Lincoln she's going back and she's going okay so I had a problem with your father because he wasn't giving to the people what the people should have yes right yes and I'm like See, I was like, see, then Cassandra needs to have everything because she needs to give the people yes. what the people should have, right? So I want to go back and do another playthrough. Oh, man, I like gave that. her three in a row. I gave her three in a row, and then the cutscenes were so, I mean, they were about to fight me in the in, at the table. Every time we sat down, they were complaining, and I hate you, and she was just sitting pretty, like, yep, <laughs> and, and what? And I was like, that's right, that's right, Cassandra, it's you and me you know but then i did my research and was like damn it the gamer got in the way or whatever the strategist got in the way and all those cues in the cutscenes of like it's going downhill fast they don't want to do stuff they don't want to have the sit downs anymore they're complaining they're using racially coded language that's not Mm -hmm. even that coded right and they're wilding out and i was like okay i guess i'm not supposed to obviously i'm not supposed to give this to her what are going to be the repercussions and i wanted the quote good endings (laughs) i want I wanted I knew there would be multiple endings and I was like I I don't want to cut down shut down that path and um you know inhibit what Lincoln can become because I favor one of these bosses over the other when the game is telling me I have to favor these other two fools and they're just not down for the cause Cassandra's like this whole neighborhood this whole black neighborhood needs to be armed right you know I don't know what you're doing out there but this neighborhood needs guns right and I was like okay I will go find the guns you know I'm falling in the water and stuff and it was like I remember it was like not missions that I enjoyed, but I was like, I would get you these guns. Right. Um, and that was the thing, right? I mean, but but see, that's the thing we're not supposed to do though, right? We're not right. supposed to arm black people. And that's what she was asking for, right? She was asking for a revolution, right? Yes. She's like, no, it's not about revenge. It's about revolution. Yes, black people need yes. guns. We need to yes. be able to protect protect ourselves and hold our own. And I'm, and I'm going, why isn't this the game we playing? Yes, and that's it. Revenge and revolution are 
are opposite of recognition. They're not invested in that project. Revenge is on its own path of like, I'm out to kill everybody. Revolution <laughs> is like, these are our, we don't care if you recognize our humanity because, you know, we need guns, we need lunch programs, we need other things yes. going on. And we don't care what you're, we don't care what's going on with you empathizing spectator. Mm-hmm. You know, we're on this revolutionary. So, um, yeah, that that's why I'm, I'm thinking Mafia 3 is a, is a little bit different than other types of stories that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was see. great fun. It was, been, it was great fun trying to do that. Um, and, yeah, Cassandra was like, oh, and then, and then the friend, the buddy, one of the other great moments was that the buddy says, because I also decided, okay, I'm going to give her everything. So I gave her the downtown district, like after the bathhouse mission. Um, I gave her that area. Mm-hmm. And he said in the cutscenes to me, people are uncomfortable seeing all these Haitians downtown. This is unusual. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh-huh. You don't want to see Haitians in the nice part of the city? They actually said that. And right. I was like, this this is just goading me on. I'm giving her more. You don't want to see her down here. Because they tell you, I mean, you're the, the different characters are supposed to get certain areas, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, this is going to be the Irish guy. Or this is going to be this the Italian guy. Like, you, you're kind of led to make those decisions. But to give her that downtown area, I think the Italian guy was supposed to get that. I'm like, no, man, you're not getting this. Yeah. All this marble in this bathhouse? This is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> this is what Cassandra need right here. Exactly. And the Haitians were in there. And he actually, there was actually commentary on that. You know, one of the cutscenes of driving him somewhere or whatever, driving that van. And he was like, yeah, people aren't used to seeing all these Haitians downtown. Mm-hmm. What? I mean, but see, that, that game is, there is so much. And there's so much in terms of possibility, right? Because... And and I wanted to see more, right? Because there was some, there was there, there were those inklings about revolution with Cassandra. I wanted to see more, and you know, instead of seeing, instead of seeing more about you know what's going on with the traditionally whitewashed civil rights movement, I want to see what's going on. With I want to see what's going on with the Black Panthers. I want to see what's going on with the nation. I want to see what's going on in these circles to build up to build up that that backstory behind what Cassandra is rooting for, right? Yeah. And the only other place we really got it was um, Dave Fenoy. You know, yeah, was like mm-hmm. the voice that I could yeah. just sit in the car listening to that. Just <laughs> not just put the controller down. And sit in the car and listen to the music and listen to all those ads, those commercials. Yes. His, he, he was on it, you know. The so talk shows. The talk shows. Yes. Everything. That's where it, it sort of had extra life uh, beyond Cassandra, who, you know, could have gone further for sure. But you should be rewarded for going that revolutionary path. Yeah. You know, like if I give her all the districts and we ride or die together and take everybody else out, all the <laughs> other bosses, everybody else out, yeah. you know. I want that to be an explicit commentary in the game. Mm-hmm. That that's the path we took. That now I'm a Black Panther too. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we all going that way. I mean, and that was that that the ambient narrative in that game, right? So what you get when you're driving around, the stories that you get from people when you're walking around just listening to what people on the street are saying, right? That. There, it's like more of that. Can we get more of that in our games, right? So we get more of real people stories and not just the part of the narrative that folk think we need to identify with 
empathize with and understand the character. I, I want more of the stuff that's going to make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to say you're going to make people uncomfortable and this game going to make people uncomfortable, don't make people uncomfortable just by throwing racial slurs around. Make them uncomfortable by making them yeah. think about what yes. went on then and what the connections to what went on then are to what's going on now. That's right. where I right. want people to feel uncomfortable. Yes. Yep. Yep. And see, that's what a good dystopian novel does, is it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, like this is all the present. This is definitely, you know, Octavia Butler and um, her stories, the Parable series. Yes. You know, it had that Make America Great campaign right there. Yeah. Um, and so and so there you go. That is what it does, is it, it pushes the envelope and shows you these are the connections. Um, and we can see the connections. We can try to do that interpretive work to make the connections. But to have the gamer who does actually pick up this game and play it, and you're already in a self-selecting group that's going to play it yeah. in the first place. Yeah. But to have you really get this and have this be there, you might as well go all the way because you're not gonna, you know, you're not a blockbuster game at this point. Right. Um, though I think, I mean, you, I don't know, you guys have talked to people who have actually been involved with the making of the game, so. You know, is that an aspiration? Like, is that even an aspiration with this game to, you know, make those bigger dollars? Uh, you know what? They, the, the, the folks we talked to didn't say it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, I mean, even just with that, that opening splash screen, right? That says, hey, this is what we're doing. But, you know, what is it not? When is it not that aspiration to make to make right. the money, right? Because yeah. it, it it did so poorly, I, I can't see them doing this again. Mm-mm. Even though I would love to see them do this again. Yeah. But you know, this is the thing, is like I'm always, you know, thinking about this relationship as as are other people um thinking about this relationship between games and other media like cinema. Um you know, b- black films have always been these niche films, you know, that it's like black cast films, you know, to make it in the block, to make it in the box office. Uh, you, Tyler Perry films. That was my third book, by the way, for this year was a book on Tyler Perry. You know, Tyler <laughs> yeah. Perry films had that niche black market and he could do really, really well, you know, in the opening weeks with getting, you know, black audiences out to the film, out to the theaters. And a few of his films were had a little crossover inspiration, but Perry just realized, no, this is my market. This is what I'm going for. And as a filmmaker, you could do you could do quite well with that, obviously. His career, you know, catering to a predominantly black audience. Now, can a video game with, you know, black leads that also have this kind of message? Because it's not even just the visual representation of the character that you get um, that is going to maybe pigeonhole you as a, as a niche kind of type of game. It's also this kind of story, you know, the the ideology behind this story, that that ideological project mm-hmm. combined with this racial representation, you know, just designated as that. But can games survive in the same way that niche films can survive? Quote, niche films um, can survive, right, for black audiences. You know, you can make a best man, the best man, you know, or the best man too, and, you know, the holiday season, this Christmas, these are movies that, you know, black audiences will go out and support for sure. Sure, mm-hmm. and you can make a night. You can make a nice return on that. 
but does it work the same in the video game industry? Most are, are many of these developers having those kind of aspirations. Can you be happy and satisfied with a niche game that's going to speak to that kind of audience and still do very well by those standards, right? right. A Tyler Perry, Perry film versus Transformers, for example, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like totally planes, you know, or even the horrible Superman versus Batman, Ugh. miles apart in terms of revenue, but Tyler Perry is a media mogul. You know, Tyler Perry is the busiest, one of the busiest men in Hollywood mm -hmm. um, and has a lucrative, successful career. Can the game industry work on that kind of model, um, you know, that like that that black filmmakers have? See, but the big question is, is will black people even play the game? See, because that's that was that was one of the most disappointing things. Like I said, when I when I when I kind of surveyed my students, we're not marketing. Yep. Yep. The, even yeah. the black students hadn't played the game. And I was the, like, the marketing y'all not, not played the game. Yeah. There was that yeah. really great long form article and it was about like fantasy games, but I think it gives a really good window into how marketing is treated in the mm. industry. It's often staffed by people who are not necessarily playing, who have, who are working on limited information because demographic information on who, who buys, who plays, who experiences, who gets involved is not very good. The stuff from the ESA is not very good, and it's discounted by both the industry and the market often because of white supremacy. Hooray. Yes. Um, so you have all these different layers. You're, you're missing good data. You have marketing who has a very specific idea of what will succeed because it's succeeded before, and we can't step outside of that. And then you have this push to make games bigger and more expensive all the time mm -hmm. and things are going to get lost one of those things i think that got lost in mafia 3 was marketing yep yeah so i mean how do we know if it could have that's, that's what i always come back to we don't know what the potential reach of the games industry is because we haven't tried I mean, and I think that a lot of things can be learned. A lot of things should be avoided. Like I always say that game studies as a dis as a di interdisciplinary discipline does not have to replicate the mistakes of cinema and media studies that took forever to centralize some of these conversations, mm -hmm. you know, about race in film studies where it was like, how many more books on German cinema can we give this award to? You know, that 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 has been, you know, the history past the mistakes of cinema history's past, media studies history's past, do not have to be replicated in game studies. But I do think that there are lessons, and I'm always saying, you know, this and everything I write, like the last paragraph is, you know, basically let's learn from what our interdisciplinary scholars have already established in some of these fields mm -hmm. about these kinds of representations, about these kind of is issues. When we're making dystopian games, let's realize the tropes of sacrificial blackness and the role they play in dystopian narratives because maybe we don't want to kill off all the black people in the last of us <laughs> and in the walking dead because we that actually has a history that actually you know is something we don't need to replicate it would actually be more radical for lee and clementine to live together yeah you know that that it's not just a zombie narrative where everybody can die no it has yes, different yes, significance yes. when these particular characters are in that context so i wonder if when it comes to marketing and thinking about that like why can't we think about how successful that model of so-called niche 
um, marketing is that and Sam, I think your point is still valid out there. Will black gamers even play the games, uh, play this game? Yeah. You know, that's a really good question, um, which which is tied to a whole set of other issues and things, I think. But still, you know, like Afro Samurai was a game that had its like cult following, its cult fans who liked the manga, for example, or who love the, the Wu-Tang Clan, um, the RZA's mm-hmm. soundtrack in the game, and were all kind of hip-hop heads and were like, oh, oh my gosh, you get to do this like hack and slash fighting style game to this really awesome soundtrack. Yeah. You know, it had its cult fans. So marketing executives taking that cue from what like it means to market a film that you know is going to hit that fan cult audience and pretty much only that, but really hit that, they could take their cue from that. Um, but that's not to answer the question of, you know, w- will the majority of black gamers play a game like Mafia 3? I think that this is another complication with games and it goes back to what the mainstream expect, what people expect video games to be. And, and that's something that this is going to constantly, we're going to constantly have to deal with is, you know, it, it, people don't expect their game to be this sort of cerebral political experience right at the surface with this documentary footage, with this complex character, mm-hmm. with this like oh, these overt themes and this very clear critical point. It doesn't go as far as as, as we wanted on you know in this conversation. We want the revolutionary endings, <laughs> but it still goes too far from for many people, mm-hmm. um, regardless of race, regardless of background. This is not what people have come to associate, you know, with with video games. They don't want that kind of project in a video game. Yeah. So that's a whole nother problem altogether. Even if they could take the lessons from like Tyler Perry's marketing team and say, okay, we're going to market this game and we're going to get, you know, this niche audience hyped about this black Twitter. Let's get black Twitter invested (laughs) in you know, in this game, um, then you have the issue of just, okay, but do you expect your video games to do that? Yeah. Are your video think, games doing unnatural things at that point? Mm-hmm, and, yeah. and that's a bigger problem. I think that's a really good point, and it's one that's sometimes overlooked. And this is where, like, the age of video games, I think, shows. It's a real, it's still a really young medium, and it blew up so fast. And it blew up predicated on the notion that what succeeds is doing the same thing other people are over doing. Over and over again. Which, yeah, it's not, it's not really like that in other media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see some of it on, like, reality TV and stuff. But for the most part, even if you see repetition of tropes, you still see new shit. You have to have some kind of new angle. Mm-hmm. Games are like, we're going to give a man a five o'clock shadow and a gun and some obstacles. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, oh man, that's such a deep question, though. Of of what do gaming audiences want from this at the end of the, at, at the end of the day? Yeah, you know, do you want your games to be like Mafia Three, uh, which hits on on so many ways, right? It's an open world game. Uh, you know, it has decent graphics. It has, you know, it has its mechanical issues, but it basically plays as well as like eighty-five percent of the games out there, if not more. If not more, right. exactly. Um, and but but it's the message. It's the rhetoric. Mm-hmm. It's the story. It's the project of deconstructing, and people don't want to play that heavy kind of experience, do they? Right. They they, they don't want they, their games to do that. 
Mm -hmm. They do want their games to be in the hood in, you know, L.A., South Central, you, the GTA, mm -hmm. you know, San Andreas, GTA 5, like Franklin. We really need Franklin after we already had, what was his name, um, CJ? CJ from, from San, San Andreas. Andreas, yeah. And I loved CJ, okay? When that <laughs> happened, that was its its moment, mm -hmm. you know? And you got to have him with customize him, a big old afro. You could make a very large, you know, full-bodied CJ. Mm -hmm. You could go jog on the beach and be a skinny CJ. You could do whatever you want. And then we get, you know, Franklin coming out of a similar context. Mm -hmm. um, who, by the way, my biggest frustration with that game, just a random aside, is it was almost it was impossible to make Franklin as wealthy as Michael or Trevor at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I kept restarting that part of the game to help him invest in the market. But because of where they, be, where they start mm -hmm. and the kinds of missions that are open, like, only to them, um, it was financially impossible to make Franklin have as lucrative a outcome as Michael or Trevor. Wow. So that was on some crazy, but, and I tried and tried and tried again. Now my whole experience with GTA five was trying to get Franklin to have the options that Michael had. Mm -hmm. Um, but certain things were only earmarked for him. Like this is going to be your, your property. Right. So only if you jank the stock market, could you even come close? Uh, so yeah, so that is the, again, that default system of white supremacy in the background, right. you know, motivating, um, these games, even when it seems as if maybe it's not there, it is there. Right. Because it was supposed to be, I mean, the, the game itself was billed as, you know, here's three people doing the same thing, but from three different backgrounds. So, you know, that, that implication that there was some kind of, uh, there was some kind of equality there that didn't exist even from the beginning. Right. Uh, so, okay. So Trey, here's the thing. You gonna have to come back a whole bunch of times to talk to me about games. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yes. No, this is amazing. Like I said, this is my favorite show. This is a highlight of 2017. Many times. Please come back many times. Please come back many times. We're gonna have to. You you gonna have to finish Mafia Three. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to. Say, okay, so here's the thing. I won't stream Mafia Three because I am infinite, infamously bad at driving. Mm, mm -hmm, mm. <laughs> so, so we're gonna have to do a second playthrough. Yes. With uh, Cassandra's Revolutionary. Yes. <laughs> One of us has to complete that path. Just give her everything and take everybody out because they're coming for. Yeah, they're gonna come for. They you. were coming for me at that table. I was like, wait a minute, I'm uncomfortable with this violence at my table. <laughs> I mean, can't you just fall in line and you know work for me anyway? Nope, no, because yeah, they're mad. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, see now I'm thinking about that like all the different ways. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna take everybody out. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, we definitely gonna have to replay that. We're gonna have to do so, what and and I don't know. I'm not gonna stream it. I can't stream it because my driving is embarrassing. <laughs> well, driving in that game was not necessarily easy in some of those old cars. I would just suddenly slam into a wall and be like, "Oh, yeah, like, oh damn, going full speed." <laughs> it's like, "Oh damn." So, okay, and I'm, I'm I'm gonna throw this one thing out there about the driving in the car because this was always funny to me. So, anytime I would walk into into a place where I had like, like the Dif Dixie Mafia was there, and, and like I said, once I walk in there and you there, you're not walking out. Ain't nobody walking out but me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all y'all got to die because you stand for some shit that I am really always going to be pissed about. But right now, I'm really, really pissed about. So, 
But then what I would also do when I would leave is I would steal their cars and drive around in them just because. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to steal your car. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was just like some vindictive shit. But, it, but it, you know what? It was therapeutic. <laughs> it was therapeutic. <laughs> but you know those moments where the hit mob would come after you? Like, yeah. there would be these random flashes, these random floods mm-hmm. of, like, someone's hit mob is coming after you because they're pissed. You, you hit the white woman in the throat and killed her, so the police are after you. <laughs> and there were moments where I was like, the heat, the heat, the heat is all over me. You know, and my wife doesn't like to play that kind of game, but she loves to like point out things that are happening on the map that I can't see because I'm running for my life. She'd be like, turn right, they're coming for you on the right. Turn left, they're coming for you on the left. So she's kind of my lookout because I'm trying to survive. But those moments where all of that comes to a head, you know, were just so unique. I've never experienced that in a game. And you felt the police state. You felt the police state. You felt the surveillance culture. You felt all of it. Yes. And then you felt these random mobs, hit mobs, just coming for you for no reason. (laughs) Like... And I'm going to deal with the daily oppressions of walking into the store and people yelling at me and calling the police because I just walked into the store. Right, through the front door, you know, okay, walking in through the front door. I mean, signs up that, you know, that, you know, you know, say no colors. And it was like, really? Really? See, that's why everybody got to die. Um, <laughs> but that kind of stuff, like I said, we definitely, we're going to have to talk about this again. We're going to talk about this again. You're going to have to come back. Um, you gonna have to come back. You have to come back in July and talk to us again um, yes. about about the new book because you know what we yes, really please. need to talk about the new book. Um, all of these re- for all of these reasons and many many more. You are gonna have to come back. So I'm gonna give you a second because I want to ask you a question. It's gonna be the last question because we've been talking for a long time. And that's okay. <laughs> um, so give us um, tell us tell us a little bit about the uh, about your upcoming project. Oh, right. Gaming representation yep. or gaming representation or other upcoming projects. No, gaming well, representation is the next thing. It is coming out. It's an edited collection. It's fire. We were motivated to do that because at the time, you know, the media studies conferences that I go to, uh, people were to, the game studies was very one dimensional mm-hmm. in, in some ways. It's still, it still kind of is, but there's much more interest in queer games, especially uh, so the subtitle of the book is Race, Gender, and Sexuality in mm-hmm. Video Games. So we have those sections. We have Anna Everett and Lisa Nakamura wrote, wrote the foreword and the afterword for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just, you know, pioneers for us in this field of writing about representation in games. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a bunch of other scholars, you know, um, writing about queer games, uh, queerness in games, Um uh, we got Ella Noir chapters, Bioshock. I wrote about The Walking Dead and The Last of Us and the limits of racial empathy. Yay. Um, I mean, the essays are just great. And it, it's not, I can't even take credit for it because I, I wrote, you know, the introduction and in, in my chapter and, and helped edit the uh, the book. But we just had fire, you know, contributors. Mm-hmm. And it was like people wanted to be a part of this collection. Uh, oh, Journey. There's a great chapter on Journey on Spec Ops The Line. I'm thinking about the race section. Um, where you have all of these, uh, you know, essays on these different games. Um, yeah, the contributors were just are so solid. The game, the the chapters are really readable too. I mean, readers do not like 
we got a lot of flack for the for there being like too much theory in certain places and um and, and mainly in the race section actually but i pushed back and said people want you to talk about race in ways that are non-theoretical um because it should be so sensical and so obvious uh but you know in fact it's not <laughs> so yeah. we pushed back a little bit there but it's definitely not a jargony book by any means mm-hmm. um and so i think they're very readable essays in, in a lot of ways and yeah finally you know these 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 kind of book projects take so long we've been working on this book for like i don't know three or four years so for it to finally be out um and i and i was working on these different projects all at the same time and it just so happened that in one calendar year you know all three books came out (laughs) um but they just take forever to 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 get through the system yeah uh because academic scholarship you know right it just takes forever um but i'm really grateful i'm really happy that uh, that book is going to be out and you know it represents a lot of where I'm kind of going in my thinking at least with the form um, the, the format the me- the medium that I'm, I'm kind of most interested in in this moment um, you know definitely games definitely a lot to say and and think about with games and I will end with that that there were other games that I didn't mention that you know are, are I think we're thinking about like I mentioned Virginia I didn't mention Sunset um, there are there I, despite the persistence of white supremacy everywhere, there are these moments of just, you know, pleasure and relief in gaming um, and also critical excitement, even when things don't really hit the mark, Mm -hmm. Um, critical excitement for what can be. And so I'm definitely encouraged by, by like, by people by my students even who are going to make games you know yeah. who take my classes and sam's students who i don't even know <laughs> you know all of sam's students who i only get to hear some on the podcast but um people who are gonna you know do these things going forward are having the kind of educational experiences that i think will produce the type of work that you know we can be hyped about until the grave until i'm until i'm in the grave i'm gonna have a controller in my hands so right <laughs> you got some time as far as i know you got some time to to make up some ground yeah all right okay so and then at least you're gonna kill me because i'm about to ask this anyway what are you working on now absolutely nothing no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> i think that 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 like i said um it probably will never happen again to have three books come out in one year um, and I'm trying to slow down because this grind, this, this is a whole nother podcast conversation. Is this academic culture? Ooh, this grind, <laughs> this, 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 this institutional, mm-hmm. you know, the, what the, you told, you mentioned the, um, what was it? The Uberization of, of the Academy or of the university. Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked that up because yeah, I mean, it's, these are hard yeah. spaces to be in. And um, they're great spaces in some ways, but but very challenging in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, there's potential, so, but also horror. Horror every day, <laughs> every day. I mean, we're not even talking. Microaggressions don't even describe what uh, you have wow. to deal with as like a queer black woman of color on on my campus um, in New England. Actually, shit on the, yours. Was, How about here in mine <laughs> in central Indiana? <laughs> I actually lived in Indiana. I was in Green Castle. I think my life would have been so much better when I was in Indiana if I had known you guys. Like that was close. We could have we could have played games together. Yeah. I could have put on the podcast. I'm sure the podcast existed. 150 episodes. I know this podcast was around when I was in Indiana. Oh. 
And um, man, I missed out on a chance to, <laughs> to like meet you guys in person and game with you. But we will meet in person. I'm sure of it. Yep. Um, and so what am I working on now? Nothing. I mean, like I said, I'm just trying to walk again. I'm still trying to walk. I'm taking baby steps. But I know that uh, I have a dis- – well, I'm working on this white supremacy uh, article and, and definitely um, dystopian games. I have a project kind of coming, coming to fruition around that. So more on that soon. I'm fascinated by dystopias and want to keep thinking about them. So those are probably the two things. Um, always, all the time, white supremacy in America. You know, it's it's a timely, mm-hmm. timely moment mm-hmm. to discuss again and again and again. And yeah, dystopias. Cause they kind of go hand in hand too. <laughs> like the white supremacist machine is a dystopia, and you know we constantly have this hangover um, mm-hmm. living here. So. Cool. Treyandra, thank you for joining us. This has been a blast. Um, yes. and, and I can't wait to have you back um, <laughs> because there's so much to talk about. Um, but you know what? That's going. I'm going to let that bring us to the end. I'm going to let folks sit with that. I'm going to let folks sit with everything we didn't talk about tonight. Um, and that's going to bring us to the end of episode 150. 150 episodes. Damn, we've been doing this for a while. Um, (laughs) and we're gonna do it a while longer because I like I said I'm too fucking honorary to go anywhere Um, (laughs) so um, let's just say that uh, as this brings us to the end of episode 150 until next time when we uh, hit up episode 151 where once again we're gonna be talking about representation um, but uh, from a different from a different standpoint that's all I'm gonna say um we're going to tell folks to, to do the usual because it's, it's cold again. And I know some places it's snowing again. I'm going to say stay warm, stay dry. And as always, my friends, game on.